This is Stephanie. I never had a backyard telescope and I knew nothing about astronomy. You said you always felt different from your core and your worldview until last year. What happened last year? Last year, <laughs> I started reading different articles. It's one of these moments that one thing leads, leads to the next almost randomly, and I was just following this path. And I found by chance an article that was describing uh, differences between boys and girls with autism. And for the first time in my life, I saw someone else like me. So at 36, you self-diagnosed autism. Well, potentially. I'm not sure. Uh, it seems like that this is one word for perhaps several things. Stéphanie Junot is a scientist, astrophysicist, researcher, artist, painter, and rock climber. She studies galaxies, how they formed, and the giant black holes at their center. She's always been hyper-curious and highly creative. When she stumbled upon descriptors of autism and giftedness, it shifted how she felt about being different. So when I kept reading more uh, about gifted adults, and this is, I guess, a stronger, maybe more accurate description of what it is. So someone who would start as a gifted child and becomes a gifted adult, and it's not necessarily something that we would get an official diagnostic for. I had spent all my, all my life not knowing why maybe I felt so different. You're listening to Face Your Fierce. I'm Meg Murphy. I'm Eleni Lee. In this podcast, we bring you stories of trailblazing women who are living their lives outside the line. Are you in Paris right now? I am, yes. You are fascinating. There's the scientist you and the artist you. Tell us more about that. I guess I have a hard time separating my scientific side and my artistic side because they've always been together for me. And in fact, I might have developed a bit more of the art sooner because I was always very much um, drawn to drawing and painting. And I started at a fairly young age to make elaborate drawings. So partially, I think it was also wanting to observe and understand what was around myself. So one way I would do this was to then try to either recreate it or by drawing, I would also like to create new things that don't exist. So I guess it had this other dimension of creating things, which in science, we also have to be creative because we have to come up with new ideas to explain things. So I've always seen a very strong link between the two. So I tend to think of them as together instead of separate. So for those who have either a stronger science side or a stronger art side or a stronger left brain or a stronger right brain, what advice would you give to them to integrate the two? So I see that they integrate in perhaps an indirect way. And maybe that helps also if you don't search, if you don't force a connection to be so direct. And what I mean by this, like, for example, I almost never paint about astronomy. My topics are always different when I paint or draw. So I took an actually a quite advanced painting class at the university. It was in the School of Fine Arts. And then when I was taking the class, I actually had to learn to really work at paintings and not do something quickly that looks good enough and stop there. And I would get critiques and feedback. And then I had to learn that sometimes something on a painting just doesn't work. Maybe you spent five hours working on it and it looks good what you did there, but it doesn't work with the rest of the painting. So you have to take a big brush or a rag, wipe it and start again. And that 
that's hard because it's like, oh no, I spent all this time and now it's gone. But then if it doesn't work, you let it go. And if you could do it once, you can do it again later. If you want to bring it back later, you do it again. No big deal. And this attitude that I entirely learned in my art class. But then I was able to use it directly to incorporate it directly into my research because we have to write research articles. And sometimes you spend time writing a whole section of the article, but then it doesn't fit in with the rest of the paper. And most people just try to force it to keep it in. But my thinking is, you know, it doesn't work. It doesn't belong. I get rid of it. Of course, I don't completely delete it. I just move it to another file. I can always go there. But I just I have no problems taking it out of the paper, whereas I think it's usually a kind of a painful thing to do because one has spent the time to, to make it. I guess it helps to have a bigger vision of what the final product should be. Does that help your vision of the way you live your life? I think it does, indeed. And it was definitely like a, we could say a life-changing skill because now I can just apply it to, to anything. And it's very liberating. It's nice because it allows one to stick to the bigger vision. So what's the big vision of your life then? What's the galaxy of your life? <laughs> so I guess what I would really like to do, and um, I've not quite managed to get this right balance at the moment, but it's re to really bring the science and the arts more together. What would that look like? I've been thinking about this. I'm not sure. I don't think I have a final answer yet. Um, I think one way would be to simply do, I think the first step could be to just do both activities in the same day. So you could say, okay, I'm going to do science, take a break, do some art, and then go back to science and see if somehow the ideas change. If I think of my scientific problem with a new, new point of view, a new perspective. So that, I think that's one possible way. And I think for this to work, it, it makes the most sense to be able to really say, this has to be part of the schedule. Because if it stays as a hobby, it's too easy to push aside. But one thing I think would be even nicer would be to organize conversations between scientists and artists, different people. I really enjoy talking with artists and I really enjoy talking with scientists. What do you think they'll get out of it, both the scientists and the artists? Um, I'm hoping um, a more open mind. And I think it might need to be repeated because one time is interesting, but I think it's not enough to really change the way we see the world. There have been a number of projects trying to put together artists and scientists. My impression is that most of the time, only one of the two parties gets something out of it, which is not the same as having a true connection or a true collaboration. So perhaps having even collaborative projects where I think I would actually ask the people to try the other person's job. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Maybe just for a couple hours because sometimes doing something is not the same as watching someone else doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And approaching the science, the logical side, but from an artistic bent would be really interesting. Are you a spiritual person? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> I guess I don't know how, how I would call myself in that respect. You know, if you're looking through a, a telescope and you see something that is so huge and immense and this creation of all things, and then you go, well, wait, I still have to make dinner. Like, how do you reconcile those <laughs> yeah. two sides of yourself? <laughs> it, it seems so insignificant afterwards. I suppose that quite some years ago now, I have gotten used to the idea that we may not be so special and it doesn't bother me. <laughs> and being part of this much, much bigger 
let's say, well, the universe has had the same size, but I didn't realize the size of the universe until I started studying it. But I just find it beautiful and fascinating. It doesn't scare me. And, and I'm not, I don't have a fear of the unknown. I'm almost the other way. I'm like more to explore, more mysteries, more things to understand. And I just find it all very exciting. So in a sense, I'm not looking to have a, such a special place compared to the universe. I just feel lucky that I'm able to study the universe. And does studying that great vastness change the way you live your life? Sometimes. Sometimes it, I do use this to put things in perspective, let's say. <laughs> but of course, on a daily basis, I'm not always also with the head among the stars. I'm often just in normal life. Sometimes it feels like that some problems are a bit too silly to spend so much time on them, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with politics. And I'm not going to give precise examples, but there's a few things that once you step back and you see the vastness of the world, it's like, why are we struggling with this right now as human beings? We should really much beyond this point by now. Mm-hmm, for sure. And when it comes to the universe calling you, the phone rang and you picked it up and it course corrected your life. What was that? So the thing that comes to my mind is the when I found out I was going to be able to try research for the first time as an undergrad student, three summers of, of research experience. And I didn't know what I was getting myself into and I knew nothing about astronomy. So if I talk to my colleagues right now, many of them will say that they had already a passion for astronomy from a young age. They had a telescope in the backyard and they were already looking at this stuff and they were big fans of science fiction. I'm not like that. I don't even like science fiction. (laughs) And I never had a backyard telescope and I knew nothing about astronomy. Even when I decided to sign up to do my undergrad to get my degree in physics, I still knew nothing about astronomy. In a sense, it was completely random chance that I was trying astronomy as my first research experience. But it changed the rest of my life because as soon as I started doing it, I knew right away, like, okay, this is it. I found it. I found my career. So what was the hook? Um, it's hard to describe. It may actually be my first time at the telescope. The first night, my supervisor of my internship did everything and I watched him and I took notes. The second night, I did everything and he watched me. And the other six nights, I was on my own. I suppose I felt a stronger connection being at the telescope, on the mountain, observing galaxies, and I was completely, completely hooked. You said you always felt different from your core and your worldview until last year. What happened last year? Last year, <laughs> I started reading different articles. It's one of these moments that one thing leads, leads to the next almost randomly, and I was just following this path. And I found by chance an article that was describing uh, differences between boys and girls with autism. So that was interesting because I didn't realize there were differences, first of all. And also, the cliche view we have is basically the boys' version. And the girls' version has more of communicating skills that can still be present. But also, this one thing that resonated with me from this article is that the, the girls tend to learn social interaction. So they will study and learn all the rules. And then I realized this was a description of what I had done. So I don't have a, a diagnostic for being autistic or anything like this, but this just 
this aspect of having learned the rules of social interaction. And I think this goes with being what some people call a gifted child. So I think I was a gifted child as when I was younger, uh, which means that sometimes the, the social interactions can be more difficult. But what resonated with me even more than this is reading the comment of a complete stranger. As I was reading it, it felt like I had written it because she was saying, okay, I'm 36 years old, which was my age then also. And I just realized for the first time that I share some of these characteristics as a woman and, you know, gifted and everything, but had to learn social interaction and, and everything, the whole description could have been me being um, like highly sensitive also in some aspects. And for the first time in my life, I saw someone else like me. So at 36, you self-diagnosed autism. Well, potentially, I'm not sure. Uh, it seems like that this is one word for perhaps several things. Mm. So when I kept reading more uh, about gifted adults, and this is, I guess, a stronger, maybe more accurate description of what it is. So someone who would start as a gifted child and becomes a gifted adult, and it's not necessarily something that we would get an official diagnostic for. So how has knowing that changed you? Well... <laughs> I guess my immediate reaction was both of happiness, of understanding something, because I really like to understand, and also feeling strange because I had the label of autism, and I'm not sure if I really need to have this label or not, but just a very strong emotion. So I was basically crying when I was first realizing just how strong this emotion was, also because I had spent all my, all my life not knowing why maybe I felt so different. And suddenly realizing I was not alone, since I had never met someone else that was so much like me as this random person on the internet. <laughs> when you say you'd spent your whole life feeling different, what did you feel like? Well, it's harder and harder to explain because I think I first got the feeling when I was fairly young, maybe nine or ten. But since then, I just worked my hardest to fit in and to look like everyone else. And in the process, I'm a bit wondering if either changed myself or forgot who I really was. But I've come to realize that I cannot say everything that's in my mind. So I always have to filter. And I have things that would be taboo in society and that for me, I don't see as taboo, but I understand that they're taboo, so I know not to say them. But it's all, it's, it's learned. I had to just see the society and the rules and what people should say and should not say. And sometimes... Small talk is very difficult for me still. Because mm. we've talked to a few women on this series about being different. What would you say were the gifts for you of being different and the costs? The gifts, I would definitely say, is creative thinking, which helps a lot for things like problem solving. So if we have a, a bunch of people and we're trying to come up with a solution to a problem, then it's nice because I feel like I can contribute, I can do something, and I can give ideas. And then I would say the cost is maybe... It can be some, somewhat stressful in social settings, like especially if I don't want to be too clumsy and say something that would kill the conversation or make people feel awkward, then it's a bit less comfortable. Because I know I girls learn to adjust to color within the lines, whereas maybe autistic or gifted boys were just let free to be that prodigy role and do whatever they want. How do you feel about that contrast? Ah, yes, I can definitely see that there's a difference. 
uh, especially because, like exactly like you said, because of society's expectations. I don't think it has been ho holding me back too much because sometimes I will just go ahead and speak my mind, even if I know I'm not supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I can be pretty outspoken, especially more now. Maybe I was even I was more shy younger, but now I've come to a point where I'm at peace, also with being a bit different. How has discovering this autism gifted spectrum affected your relationships? I think what it did in terms of uh, personal relationships is that I tended to have fewer friends. Um, so a big group of friends would be more difficult for me. But I would have a few like very close friends. And with those friends, I'm comfortable enough that it's okay. But in a bigger group with acquaintances, then it would be more difficult. Do you find that the artwork then is your outlet for getting in touch with those feelings, that side of you? So definitely, yes. <laughs> I've been using this a lot to deal with emotions or with curiosity or with anything. I used to think that the art was my best way to express myself. Painting would get to things that I cannot put words on. I'm so curious. I want to see your paintings now. <laughs> <laughs> you sold a painting too after a gallery? Yes. That was a very exciting moment. My mother was coming to visit me. There was a, I was at the time living in Arizona. And I didn't tell her that I had two paintings in this exhibition. It was a group exhibition. And then as she walks around and then she saw this painting and she has a big reaction. She knew it was me before she saw my name. But oh she grabbed my, my arm. Wow. Is this from you? And then she went to look and it was my name. And right away she fell in love with that painting. She was like, I, I want this one. I need to have this one. I'm going to buy this one. I said, no, no, don't buy it. I'm going to make you a present because you're my mother, of course. <laughs> and then someone got in touch later with me to buy that same painting. And I said, I'm sorry, this one is no longer available. But there's another one in that same exhibition. And they said, oh, yes, the other one. Sure, I'll take the other one. <laughs> it's so neat that your mom recognized your painting. And when you talk about the idea that your painting, your art is actually a way of you expressing yourself, that makes so much sense that your mom could see that. Compared to 10 years ago, how would you say you've changed? Well, I'm definitely more confident now in that sense that it gives me confidence to just be who I am and to break the rules. <laughs> and I don't mean like rules that will send you to jail, but I mean like <laughs> society's expectations. And I think if there's more and more of us who are not afraid to speak our minds and hold our, hold our ground, hold our opinion, I think the world will improve eventually. So where is your curiosity going to lead you next? Um, well, great discoveries, I hope. <laughs> what I'm hoping to do in the longer term is to maybe start asking more different questions in my work. I'm still hoping to come up with something completely different from anything I can think of right now, meaning that today I have no idea what it is. But hopefully in the future it will be something completely new. And I wondered, would you ever study something like love? or how people are connected through the fibers of the universe? Well, that's a very intriguing and fascinating question. Uh, I have to say I've not been thinking about concrete plans to, to do that, but I love that you're asking. So I guess I've been curious about how to explain many things of our human experience beyond what we learn at school. Maybe also that's also why I would like to put the art and science a bit more together because with the art, there's a bit more of an intuitive side. Although this also comes in science, for example, 
it is uh, well recognized that uh, Albert Einstein was a very intuitive person. Uh, and I think this, this helps a lot, especially with thinking of new ideas and new directions. So who knows? It's been so neat meeting you. Well, great meeting you too. Thanks to both of you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Face Your Fierce, sponsored by Inner Outer Wealth and Meg Murphy Productions. Our music is provided by Poddington Bear. If you've enjoyed these stories, please subscribe and share the wealth. We've got more about Stephanie on our website, so click on the links in the show notes of this podcast. And you can follow Stephanie on Twitter at Stefa Junot. And in the words of Stephanie Junot, Don't forget to break the rules. <laughs> I will. <laughs>